Thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Crossroads. We are glad you took the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can find out more information at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends. Let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, Here's this week's podcast. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to James chapter 1, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of James. And as you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and tell you a little bit about myself. I know most of you, but there's some of you that I don't. My name is Corey Bridges. I am the ministry intern here at Crossroads. Uh, my wife and I, we joined back in late December, early January. And I've been um, really just honored to work with the people here on staff. You know, we have a great staff here at Crossroads. And I want you all to know that, of how awesome your staff really is here. Um, Jack, the lead pastor, is an incredible man, has a heart for his people. So I want you to know that when Jack does something for the church, he does it thinking of you. Um, everyone knows Joey and his personality and his just inc- incredible of, of a person of who he is. And then Kayla and her tremendous effort that she can do with the, your children in um, children's ministry. And then Heath... Heath does a phenomenal job with the youth, and I'm just honored to work with all of them, and I really enjoy just to be with them. I'm enjoyed to know more about you and know more of y'all. Um, the only thing about Heath is if we can get him to take off a Clemson hat every once in a while, then we'll be, we'll be a little better about that. So, um, <laughs> so that's a little bit about me, but let's go ahead and jump into it. So we're going to be in James chapter 1, and before we talk about the passage, we're going to be in 19 verses 19 through 27. It's going to be the, the eight verses that we're going to be focusing on. But we need to know the importance of James and a little bit of the background of James. Jack talked a little bit about this last week, but I kind of want to emphasize it more. So James, if you didn't know, is the half-brother. He was the half-brother of Jesus. So he grew up with Jesus, did life with Jesus. Um, And if you've ever had a sibling, you can imagine life with a sibling can sometimes be frustrating. And so if your sibling is literally the golden child that does everything right and perfect, I'm sure life can be frustrating sometimes for James. And so we actually see later on in James' life, I think it's John 7, that even Jesus' own brothers, including James, were yet believers and followers of Jesus. So it was later on in James' life when he actually became a true follower. We see in 1 Corinthians where Paul goes and talks to James, and at that point in his life, he's then transformed and starting to live for Jesus. So now we fast forward about James, and we see that James is now the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So he's the man in charge there, and in this passage that we're going to be studying, he's writing to his people in Jerusalem. And so before we go through that, I'm going to tell you a little story about myself. So as a child, in the summertime, I loved to ride a bike. Um, back then, I say back then, it was 15 years ago. But back, back, back then, I enjoyed riding my bike in the summertime with friends in the neighborhood. And there was one time I remember specifically where a buddy and I went down a hill, this dirt hill towards a creek. And we hit, I hit a rock, and I flipped over my handlebars. And I got up, I had a few scratches on me, you know, that's what it's like as a 10-year-old boy. Um, but then I realized one of the pedals on my bike had broken off. And so I'm standing there with one pedal on my bike and one off, and I'm like, oh, I need to fix this. Ten-year-old me is like trying to twist this back on. I'm like, this is not working. I don't have the tools for this. I was like, huh, you know, I can take this to my dad. My dad has tools. He can fix this. So I get on my bike, go up the hill towards my house. And if you can imagine, if you've ever tried this, trying to ride a bike with one pedal, it's almost impossible <laughs> to do. You can't do it. And so... I want you to think about this illustration as we go through this passage because like the two pedals on the bike, the Christian life is like that. 
we have two pedals, and the two pedals in life is to know the word and do the word. If you don't have both of those pedals going, you're going to have issues in your walk. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Hopefully you're there by now. Like I said, it's James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And I'm going to break up each verse individually. I'm going to do it in three sections. So the first section is going to be 19 through verse, verses 19 through 21. It's going to be the main focus I'm going to start on with that. So let's go ahead and read. So James says here, verse 19, Dear, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human, is, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So I'm going to stop right there. Let's go back up to verse 19 and we'll, and we'll work our way down. So the first thing we need to note here in verse 19 is James is talking again to his people. Jack said last week, if it says dear brothers and sisters, it's regarding the, those who are following the Lord. And it's, as James is writing to his people in the congregation, these are his people that he's writing to. And it's important for us to know that who his audience is so we can try and grasp and understand their viewpoint. And in verse 19, we see there's three sections. And so the first section that we see in verse 19, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen. So I'll say it one more time. Everyone should be quick to listen, in case you didn't hear it the first time. So just as a servant is supposed to hear his master's request back then, or if you're a mom and you have a newborn baby, and to hear your newborn baby's cry, we have to be quick to listen to what the Lord is saying to us. I'm a married man. I have to be quick to listen to what my wife is telling me a lot of times in life, or I'm going to have issues. So Christianity is the relationship that we have with the Lord, and oftentimes we can divorce ourselves from the Lord by shutting our ears and refusing to hear what he wants to say to us. Um, that's the human side of us. You know, a lot of times in our relationships in life, we can push people away. We can push them away from us, and it can cause tension and, because we don't want to hear what they have to say, even if it's beneficial for us and for our life. And so that's why James is saying here to be quick to listen because the Lord has a purpose and a desire that's beneficial for our life. And a perfect example that we can see in Scripture that backs us up of being quick to listen, we can look at Second Samuel chapter 23, verses 14 through 17. And at this time in Second Samuel, we see that David is hiding from the Philistines in Bethlehem. And he's hiding and he's exhausted, and there's a well that's in Bethlehem, yes, in Bethlehem, and he wants to get a drink from the well. And so he has three servants who hear his request, and so they risk their life to do what their master is wanting because he needs that, that drink, and he's thirsty, and, he, and he's exhausted. And so just like they were quick to listen to what David had to say, we as Christians that are following the Lord had to be quick to listen on what he is trying to say to us because it's beneficial and it's fruitful for our life. So the second part of 19, 19b, James goes on to mention this, and I'll repeat the first part. So my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. So I don't know if you've ever heard this saying before, but everyone has two ears and a mouth for a reason. So you can listen twice as much as you, you speak. And so I really struggle with this because as a teenager, a lot of times my mom, I'll be in my room and my mom would call out my name and say, Corey, come here. And I would say, huh? And she would say, if you're huh, if you can huh, you can hear. You need to come downstairs. Um, and so a lot of times, especially in the teenage world, we believe that we can do more and we know more than we really do. And so it's important for us to note that here in this text, the historical cultural context of this passage 
the church in this time was very informal sometimes. And so if there was a, someone that was up speaking on Scripture, that the audience had a good chance to ask questions or you know, intertwine with the, with, the audience or with the speaker. And because of that, it would cause a lot of uproars and riots. Sometimes people wouldn't see eye to eye, and it would cause fights. And so James is telling these people that you need to be slow to speak because if you're constantly uproaring and speaking over each other, then you're never going to accomplish the goodness of God. So again, going back, you know, a lot of people say if you have kids and you're a pastor, you use your kids as examples. So I don't have kids, but I have a, I have a wife. And so my wife is we used as an example a lot this morning. And so if you're married, then you know this, is, this happens because everyone has arguments as a marriage, in, in a marriage. And so if my wife and I are arguing, if I'm choosing to first not be quick to listen to what she has to say, and secondly, I'm not being slow to speak, so I'm speaking over her, we're not going to be able to work our issue out because I'm not obeying what I'm supposed to be doing because I'm trying to do things on my own and it's not flourishable, it's not being fruitful in that moment. And so James will actually talk about how the church is having uproars and fights in chapter 4 later on that Jack will speak on in a couple weeks. So we may not always verbally answer God vocally, but because he's the Lord, he knows our heart and our mind. And so a, a text that comes to my mind is Proverbs 13.3, and it says this, the one who guards his mouth protects his life. So if you, if you guard your mouth, you protect your life because what you're saying can either be beneficial or it can hurt you in life. You know, a lot of times we say things and we can't take it back. We see that happen a lot in life. And something that we struggle with as humans in society is we love to speak. Everyone has Facebook. If you don't have Facebook, you love to talk on the phone. Everyone has a comment that they want to say or a post that they want to put because we always want to say something and we want people to hear what we have to say. It's because we as a culture love to speak. Sometimes maybe not in public speaking, but some of us like to speak. And so let's move on to the third part of 19 here. So it says, again, my brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And the third one is slow to anger. That's the third one. So there's three parts here in verse 19, and one of these should feel most convicting to you, whether it's you feel like you're not, you're not ever quick to listen, or you're never slow to speak, or you're never slow to anger. So this third one is most convicting for me. Um, I'm definitely struggle big time with being slow to anger. Um, and I'll, I'll give you examples on why. But something that's important for us to know is that we as humans have a short fuse while the Lord has a slow fuse. So we have a short wick with a fast fuse while the Lord has a long wick with a slow fuse. And so, and if you're like me and you struggle with getting angry, then you get theological with it sometimes. And you say, well, the Lord gets angry, so if he gets angry, it's okay if I get angry sometimes. Um, and then you try to make yourself feel better about that. In reality, it's like, uh, it's not really how it works. But although the Lord does get angry, I want to give you a verse that's very important. Um, it's actually the most used text by other authors in the Bible. Have you ever wondered that ever when you study the scripture, like who uses one verse in the Bible as an author more than anyone else? It's just interesting. Well, this is the verse. In case you were curious what that is, this is the verse. It's Exodus 34, verse 6. That's the verse. Exodus 34, verse 6. And it says, the Lord, the Lord is slow to anger. So the Lord, the Lord is slow to anger. And I'll explain in the next verse why it's important for us as humans to follow and obey him because our anger does not produce the righteousness of the Lord. However, something to note is the next verse, Exodus 34, verse 7, 
it says, that Moses, the writer, says, but the guilty do not go unpunished. And so that's important for us to know that, yes, the Lord is slow to anger, and there's a reason why he's slow to anger. However, if we don't fix our ways because of that, why he has that anger, then wrath of the God will come down on the people, as it says in verse 7 in Exodus. So I said earlier, there's two reasons why I really struggle with slow to anger. And my wife's grinning right now because she knows what I'm going to say. So the first one is when I'm driving on the interstate. It's true. If I am on the interstate, I'm always in the fast lane, and I'm always speeding. That's what I do. And if you ever see me on 26 or 85, I'm in a 1500 Ram, Dodge Ram that's red, and you're in front of me and you're going 10 miles below the speed limit, there's two other lanes that you can be in. And it says slow lane, middle lane, and fast lane. Why do people do this? I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm getting heated up here thinking about it. So that's one thing I really struggle with when it comes to anger. But I'm working on it. This whole entire week, I've been studying this. And we were actually driving somewhere, and she was like, wow, this person's driving so slow. I was like, I know, but I'm trying to be slow and angry about it. Don't tell me. I already know. So I, and so I was really struggling with it, and I do struggle with that. The second thing I really struggle with when it comes to anger is if I'm putting something together. So a lot of times if, okay, we're moving on vacation, we're going to vacation, I'm packing the car, or if I'm putting together a desk, or a good friend of mine, him and his wife are moving, and they just lended us a bed frame this week because they don't need it, and we needed one for, for a family member. Um, and so on Monday, I was actually putting this bed frame together, and if you ever put a bed frame together by yourself, it's kind of difficult because you put one side together, and you have to have the other side propped up, and if it starts to tip, then this side's going to tip, and it's just, it's a fiasco. And so I was trying to put this together. My wife was trying to help, and she realized I was getting frustrated, and she's like, I'm going to walk away because I'm next to a grenade with a pen pulled, and if he make one wrong move, it's going to explode. Um, but thankfully, I got the bed put together. It looks great. Um, but I really struggle with, with anger. Um, and so I think it's so important for us as believers to realize we cannot be fruitful for the Lord if we struggle with these three things. So the first one was being quick to hear. The second one was being slow to anger, and the th- or sl- slow to speak. And the third one was to be slow to anger. So let's move on to verse 20. Verse 20 kind of ties in with verse 19 on the third part. It says this. It says, For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And I'm going to explain that a little bit. So like I said, Exodus 34, God is slow to anger. And then verse Exodus 34, 6, or verse 7 says, But the guilty did not go unpunished. What it, this means is God has anger towards something, but it's sin. His anger is towards sin and the filthiness of sin, as opposed to us as humans, while we do not accomplish God with our anger because we get angry at worldly things like driving on the interstate or putting things together. Or maybe it's someone chewing too loud on ice. You know, I don't know what thing, something triggers everyone. We're all human. So maybe it's Clemson football. I don't know. So, <laughs> but it's important for us to note that the Lord does have an anger side. He has a wrath, but it's towards that sin that's in our life, that filthiness, because we are. We're filthy creatures um, filled with sin. And in Romans 1.18, this is a verse that I love. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So God will lay his wrath down on those who are unrighteous, who are living unrighteous and unholy. So we need to make sure that we are trying to be quick to speak, 
quick to, li- quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not accomplish God's righteousness. And this is verse 21. Therefore, so if it's there, the word therefore is, he's basically summarizing the first two verses, and now he's moving on to this next part. So therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So here in verse 21, James is breaking it up in two parts. The first part, he talks about ridding yourselves of all moral filth. Some translations may say lay apart or discard. So like a snake would discard its, its skin, its old ways, and move on with life, we have to discard our filthiness and our old moral filth to move on to the righteousness of God. And so the word filthiness actually comes from the compound word. If you look at the syntax and deep into um, English wording, the word filthiness comes from the compound word of earwax, which is kind of gross. Um, earwax, well, you know, the purpose of it, too much earwax will cause you from hearing something. So too much of our filth is going to keep us from hearing what the Lord is trying to say to us and through us and for our purpose. And the second part of verse 21, which I absolutely love, um, James says this right here. He says, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So when I read this part of 21, I think of God as a gardener. Um, so about a month and a half ago, the weekday preschool, they have been, and maybe if you've done this in school before, I'm sure you have. So they came in, and they were doing some type of project, it looked like. They put a seed in a plastic cup, and they put soil in that cup, and they watered the cup. And then they, all the kids put the cups on the windowsill, and every morning they would come in, they, you know, they would do their normal routines, and they would go and they would look at this cup that they put on the windowsill, and it was like, the purpose of it was to watch it grow, watch this plant grow that they had been working on and um, trying to produce. And so God says, I want to plant in you my word and watch you blossom for my glory. It's the same concept that we see there um, with the kids in the cup. So this brings me to my first point. So three-point Baptist here this morning. So point number one says this, we must be receptive to God's word. So point one is we must be receptive to God's word. And so it's so important for us to realize that if we are not being receptive to the Lord's word, then how are we going to bring, like how can we be fruitful for him? How are we going to bring glory on his name? So now let's, let's move down to verse 22, which is the most important part, I believe, of this passage. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So this is big. Remember the analogy I told you about the pedals. So know the word, do the word. Know the word, do the word. And some translations might say hearing, so hearing and doing and knowing are kind of the same concept. So know the word, do the word. And so it's not always that hearing that's going to bring blessing, but also your actions of doing as a follower of the Lord. So too many, too many Christians nowadays, I'm not saying this church specifically, but too many Christians nowadays love to come to church with our Bibles. Um, we check off the list that we came to church. You know, we put on our nice clothes. We have our highlighters, our dividers for our favorite passages. We highlight as much as we can that Sunday. And then we leave church, and we realize that the Bible was never highlighting you in your life because you're not there for the right reason. And so the second half of verse 22, James talks about deception. And so deception is such a big issue, not just in the world, but in the church as a whole, because the problem with self-deception is that self-deception can lead to false religion. So if you're at church every day, and you come in, and you're here, and you're like, Jack, you know, I want to hear what you're saying. Feed me, feed me, feed me. This is great. This is awesome. But then you realize that there's nothing coming out of it. You're not taking any step. You're not 
actively living for Jesus, you're not being the doer of the word, you're only being the hearer, that's false hope. You have false hope at that point. So think of it this way. Your family goes out to a restaurant, maybe Sunday after church, because we all are Baptists, we love to eat. Um, so you go after church on a Sunday, and you sit down with the menus. You're like, wow, these appetizers look great. Look at these entrees. They're shrimp and grits. Um, three, meat and three veggies. You know, anything you can think of. I'm, I'm getting hungry, so my mind's getting flustered thinking of it. But you look at it, it looks great, but then you put the menu down, and you all get up and you walk out of the restaurant, and you never order. It's the same concept of coming to church, hearing the word of God, but not doing the word of God. It's the same exact concept. I'll give you another example. So my wife and I, we bought a house back in November. First house, feels great. I don't have the rent right now, which is awesome. Um, but I remember when I first bought the house, I was talking to my uncle and my dad, and we were hanging out and just chatting a little bit, and I was like, man, I know it's November, but I can't wait till I cut my grass. I'm so excited to cut my grass. And they both, they both were laughing, and they're like, huh, yeah, you know, it is kind of cool. It's a manly thing to cut your grass, but eventually you're going to get tired of it. And I was like, no, I'm not going to get tired of cutting my grass. I love it. It's awesome. I like the way it looks. It smells great when it's freshly cut. Um, I told this to Jack once, and he's like, you can come cut my grass if you want. Um, and so we were chatting about this, and so this was back in November, and then so right now it's June 13th, so probably about end of March, early April is when I actually started cutting my grass, because, you know, it starts, it's dead in the winter. Don't even waste your time unless you have Augusta green grass, and it looks like you're at the Masters. If you know how to do that, then make YouTube videos for me or something, because um, it's awesome. But... With it being June 13th, I started cutting my grass late March, early April. I probably cut it maybe five or six times, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I am. Don't get me wrong. I like how it looks. I like when it's finished. It looks awesome. I wish the Roombas that clean your... I wish they had that for grass because I wish we can get it cut. Um, And so they're right. It feels like a chore. But I tell you this because if I was to go outside in my yard put my lawnmower in the yard, and I walk away and go back inside, turn my TV on, sit on the couch, my grass isn't going to get cut. It's the same concept. If you come to church, you're hearing what the preacher is saying, it sounds great, it feels great, you take your notes, but you close up your Bible when you leave, nothing's getting accomplished when you leave because you're not actively doing the Word of God when you leave. There's more to life in the Christian world besides Sunday and Wednesdays. <clears throat> And I want to point on something. If you're coming to church to hear the word of God and you go to Sunday school and it's great and you're having a good time of fellowship and you're, you might as well stay home if you're not actively living for the Lord after Sunday because you can get more sleep at that point. You know, there's 52 weeks in a year, that's 100 hours at least of more sleep two hours a day on a Sunday um, that you can sit at home if you're not actually here involved and you're not actually doing the word of God because you're wasting your time. And that might be blunt, but that's how James puts it, and that's the truth in God's word. However, I want you to know, church, we want you here at Crossroads. Jack talks all the time about community, the importance of community, small groups. You know, his job is to teach sound doctrine on Sunday mornings, and then our job as a community is to grow in fellowship and help each other through life. And so I tell you that because we want you here at church, but we want you to act on what you're learning at church. That's the difference between coming to church just to go through church and go through the motions than to actually learn from church, grow in your walk, because sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. And if we're not coming to church to grow and become more like him, then what are we doing? You know, we're wasting our time at that point. 
So let's move on to verse 23 and 24. These kind of tie in together. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. So I don't have to give you an analogy for this part because James gives us one. We as humans, we all have, I'm sure someone has a mirror. You know, you wake up, if you're like me, you wake up, go to the bathroom, use the bathroom. You look at the mirror, you're like, oh, my hair's all messed up, I need to fix it. This morning I got up at about 5.45 and I needed to shave because I looked like a husky. Um, and so I realized I couldn't come up here and preach if I was, my face was all messed up. But if we were to walk away from the mirror knowing that we're all messed up, it's the same concept of coming to church, listening to Jack, and then we close our Bibles and we're like, wow, how was that? I don't know. I don't know what God taught me because I forgot it already. It's the same exact concept as if you look at the mirror, turn around, and you walk away. Many Christians in life, and again, I'm not saying crossroads people, many Christians in life, we come to church because that's how we feel like we're supposed to do it. And it feels, at that point, it's a religious exercise, and we fail to profit from it because we're here for the wrong reason. We're here because we feel like we have to be, not because we want to be. Church, we have to actively live for Jesus. Again, here in verses 23 and 24, he mentions self-deception. And the problem with self-deception, like I said earlier, Satan is the king of deception. And if he can convince you and me that we're here at church and we're part of the church and we're living for Jesus and in reality we're not, we're on the path of destruction, then he's winning at that point because he's like, oh, well, Corey's not, Corey thinks he's following the Lord. In reality, he's not. And so in that point, Satan is going to make that happen because he knows that this person is not actually living for Jesus. So I don't really have to work, well, work on him because he's already not doing the right thing. James mentions in chapter 2, next chapter, that faith without works is dead. You cannot be a follower of Jesus if you're not actively living for Jesus. You can't. It's, it, it tells us that. You, you literally can't. Jesus didn't come here on earth to walk and, then he, and, just, and just to talk. He actually did something. Jesus was here and he actively died for you and me because we couldn't accomplish it. We couldn't accomplish it ourselves. So he had to come and do it for us. We have to actively live and work for Jesus, and that comes with doing the word of God and not only hearing it. Church, listen to me. Eternity is too long for us to get wrong. It is. It's way too long. Here on earth, we're here for a little bit, you know, 40, 50, 70, 80 years. I don't know. I'm 24, so I'm still not trying to look forward to getting old. But we're here not that long compared to eternity. Jack talks about how we're, this is a pit stop to heaven. That's, Jack says that all the time, and I love it. It is true. We are at a pit stop to heaven. If we're not actively living for Jesus, then what are we doing? What are we doing? We have a perfect Savior who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that we need to be living and pursuing. I tell you, when I was studying this, I was fearful for my own walk. I was. I had to check my own heart and my relationship with the Lord, because I was, I was like, the person that's speaking like, what if, some, like what, if I, what if I'm not right with the Lord? And I'll tell you something, church. The most fearful thing in life, I might be 24, but this is true. The most fearful thing in life, it's not COVID-19. It's not not making enough money. It's hearing the words, depart from me for I did not know you. That's the most fearful thing that can happen to you and me. And listen, I'm not saying that knowing the word of God and hearing the word of God is bad, because it's not. But if we're only doing one of them, it's like being on the pedal 
your spiritual pedal, and you're not going to go anywhere in life. You're not going to move. I couldn't move anywhere with my one pedal on my bike. You're not going to move anywhere spiritually if you're constantly doing one of those things. We have to do both of them, as James is saying here in the text. And this brings me to my second point. We must be submissive to God's word. We must be submissive to God's word. Verse 25 says this, But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and preserves in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works this person will be blessed in what he does. This is a phenomenal passage because this is hope right here. As, as we study and we read the word, this is hope here in verse 25. James is telling his people, if you are living out your life daily and hearing the word of God and doing the word of God, there will be blessing upon you. God will bless you. Like I said earlier, he wants to implant in us the word of God, and he wants to bring blessing out to others for his glory. And so James is saying that here in verse 25. In verses 26 and 27. Verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is a religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. I'm going to stop right there before I read verse 27. So again, James goes back to self-deception. You know, this is the second time he's mentioned deception in the past four verses, so it's got to be important. You know, if deception was an issue in his church back then, you know it's an issue in our church today. And I don't mean crossroads, I mean the church as a whole, the big C. It's got to be an issue. Um, He wouldn't write about it if it wasn't an issue. And so we deceive ourselves when we hear the word of God and refuse to act on it. And so James starts this verse about speaking on the tongue. And so in the next, I believe it's chapter 3, we will see the, the, the importance of speaking on the tongue and how the tongue is controlled by the heart and the heart, and they, they kind of intertwine, they work together. But don't get me twisted here. I'm not saying that if you struggle with your tongue, then you can't be a follower of the Lord because we all, we're all sinners. We all struggle with something. However, the problem here is is when our tongue is an issue and we're not convicted about what's coming out of our mouth. That's the issue here because at that point, then you need to check your heart because your heart is controlled to the tongue. And if negative things are constantly coming out and you don't feel at any point convicted or hurt at all about that, then that's an issue and you need to check your heart because maybe you're not where you need to be. A controlled tongue means a controlled body. And if we have a controlled body, then we can live the way we're supposed to be living for the Lord. You know, society tells us how we should live, but the Word of God tells us how we must live. <clears throat> now let's move on to verse 27. This is my favorite verse. I love it. And point number three, I'll go ahead and say it so I don't forget. We must be moved by God's Word. This is point number three. We must be moved by God's Word. And so that's, that's so passionate and perfect because we as humans, we can get stuck and we can get in place. And a lot of us are... Um, Creatures of habit. I know Heath, me and Heath, sometimes we'll try and eat lunch maybe once a week and just chat. Heath's favorite place, if you don't know, is Tropical Grill. He loves it. Um, Heath is one of those people who is a creature of habit. He loves, you know, it's a routine and he loves it. He loves the people there. He loves the food. We as humans are a creature of habit. And when we get in a routine where we're not living for the Lord, it's going to be tough to be moved by God's word because we realize that we're not living the way we should be for his glory. But y'all, here's verse 27. It's my favorite part of the whole passage. It says this, Pure and undefiled religion before the God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so the first thing I note here is he talks about looking after the orphans and the widows in distress. So during this time, 
if you look at the context of this passage in the church of Jerusalem, they had, or, they had orphans and widows who were hurting and they were mourning. And because of that, those people were turning to immorality and sin and evil and wrongdoing. And so he's telling his congregation to wrap your arms around these people who are hurt. Um, for us as Crossroads, we, you know, we saw a devastating loss about a month and a half ago, maybe, maybe a month. Um, but we as a church, we witnessed our love wrapping around on someone that was mourning and hurting. And that's what James is saying to do here is to love on those that are hurting because they're part of our people. And I think that's something that we do as phenomenally as a church is we love on each other and we're there for each other. I think that's beautiful. But my favorite part of verse 27, and I'm getting close to the end, I promise. It says this, keep oneself unstained from the world. So keep oneself unstained from the world. So my wife and I, you know, we're in, we learned this new phrase last week in Sunday school. We're at the BK stage of life, which is before kids. Apparently that's a new term that I didn't even know about. So we're at the BK stage of life, where it's before kids. So we try to go out to lunch or dinner at least once a week for a date night. Um, and if you know my wife, then you know that I have an issue with spilling things on my shirts. And so she has to spray on my shirts at least once a week Thankfully, she's good at it because she has a lot of experience and practice. So she gets the stains out of my shirts. Um, but I tell you this because me, I don't know if it's you, but if you, when I get something on my shirt, you know, she tells me, okay, just get water on it and just pat it. You know, if you pat it, it doesn't really spread. And what do I do? I sit there and I scrub it instead of patting it. And when I scrub it, it spreads. Um, and so I tell you that because that's life as a believer. So we are stained we have stained, we're filthy creatures. We have this stain in our past. There's things in my past that I can't change that come back. They haunt me every once in a while. They're always on me. And so Satan and religion say, fix it yourself. You have this stain in you. Scrub it out. Fix it. But I want to read you this passage in Zechariah 3. It says this. It's verses 1 through 4. Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan, standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Verse 3 says, Now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him, saying, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to, said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with festive robes. Y'all, this passage here in Zechariah is about Jesus. Um, and we see that, like I said, we are filthy. We have the stain in our life. Myself, when I get to restaurants and I get stain on my shirts, I have this filth that's on me. And as I saying here in Zechariah, y'all get this. I'm, It says, I will clothe you in festive robes and remove your iniquity from you. Jesus says, you have stain. You have filth because you're a creature of destruction and you are a sinner. But he says, I want to give you my festive robes and I'll take your filth. I'll take your stain that's in you, that's on you. I'll trade places with you. I'll suffer for you so you can have glory. That's what Jesus is saying. This passage here in Zechariah says that. Remove your iniquity from, from you, and I will clothe you with festive robes. Again, I said earlier, y'all, we have a risen Savior that we need to be actively living for. He didn't have to come do this. We could all be sitting here 
wasting our time, but he chose to because he loved us and he died for us. And we need to praise him for that. We do. Because he's saying, you're filthy, but I want to give you my festive robes because I love you. And as we come to a close, Joey, if you want to go ahead and start working up, you can. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't. All I know is this is what I was supposed to study. This is what the Lord had for me. I'm going to ask Heath and Jack if they can come down to the front. I don't know your heart, but the Lord does. We have something that we need to get right with the Lord. Please do it before you leave today. I don't know if you're struggling with, you know, not being quick to listen to what the Lord has to say. I don't know if it's you not being slow to speak or you have anger. I don't know if it's you just coming to work church because you feel like you're in a routine and that you need to consistently do this in life because that's what you're called to do. That's what the South, the South tells us, that you need to go to church. I don't know what's on your heart, what you need to fix, but the Lord does, and I want us to get it right with him before we leave today. So as Joey leads us in invitation, respond how you need to today. you've been challenged and inspired from today's message from Crossroads. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. The last year has been one of chaos and confusion, and we know many have become isolated and lonely. You can get Pastor Jack's new book, The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, a great resource that will help you, or you can give to a friend who might be struggling. This resource is also available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.